in last week's message and really the week before that too, setting the stage for our series, in a general way, we've really been talking about community and particularly community as the Christian community, the community of the church. And unfortunately, sometimes it's hard to to see the church in that way and in that light as a, a true community. Um, you know, one of the greatest current examples of community that really works and is effective uh, is CrossFit. CrossFit. Who knows about CrossFit? Who knows what CrossFit is? Let me show you. Okay. Yeah, good, good, good number of people. Uh, I didn't really know much about it, so I, I did some research, and man, I was blown away at how big this thing has gotten. I mean, CrossFit is just about everywhere. And the thing that makes CrossFit work is that it's not just another gym. It's not just another gym you go to. You know, those are a dime a dozen. I mean, they're everywhere. And anybody can go into a gym and you just walk in and you can be there on your own and you do your thing, you lift the weights, you do the workout. You don't really spend a lot of time interacting with people in traditional gym settings. What CrossFit does, though, is it takes getting fit and it takes exercise and it takes working out and it combines this amazing community sense to it so that you don't just go in and do your thing you go in and you're with all these other people that all have the same goal in mind which is of course getting in shape themselves but the magic of it is they also help one another get in shape And so everybody's working towards this common goal of improving themselves, and they're working together. Like they're motivating each other, and they're spurring one another on. And it's really this this team concept, and they even do events together. They do competitions together, and they end up forming this this family. You know, and that's that's what community really is all about. You can find community in a lot of places. And true community takes place... When you've got a group of people from all sorts of different backgrounds and all sorts of different positions in life that come together for the the common purpose, a common goal. They have the same passions and the same goals and they're all working towards that together and that creates a bond and it creates relationship from that. And that's exactly how it should be for the church. That's how it should be for the church of Jesus. We should have a community that represents all of those things and more. The church of Jesus, the church of Christ, and that community, the community of Christ, should be the greatest source or greatest example of community on earth. Because we have the greatest truth on earth. And that should unite us. And and the common purpose around the gospel should so motivate us that we have the strongest community possible. But so often what happens is the church focuses on all that, that, are, that we have that is indifference of each other. In other words, we, we focus on maybe the generational divides that are always going to be there, and that's what occupies our mind. Or we focus on the style difference that we might have, and we're all going to have that, you know. Uh, one person likes one style of music or prefers a style of dress even or even prefers a certain version of the Bible. And, and another person over here has a totally different approach to that and a totally different style. So there's going to be stylistic differences. There's going to be generational differences. There's going to be academic differences that people come from different academic and intellectual background. There's going to even be cultural difference. So the differences are going to be there, Right? 
And, and we, we so often see that and then we elevate that. But what we need to remember is that all we have in common as the church of Jesus, all that we have in common as Christians, far exceeds what we might have differently. Whatever we might have that's, that's different from one another and, and the, the different things that might normally or naturally keep us from coming together on a human level. We need to understand and we need to adopt the mindset as the church of Jesus that what unites us far exceeds that. And what we have in common through Christ will forever unite us. And that's what needs to drive us forward. That's what needs to be our motivation. We, we just had that read. We heard that read in the scripture reading in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 22. And that's what is always going to be our common ground. And that's what we need to always come back to. The fact that we have Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, that made it possible to come to the Father before the throne any time, any day. And that's something that no one before Christ ever was able to enjoy and to know. Throughout all of Israel's history, there was that holy of holies that you knew you couldn't go into. There was one person that could go in there one time a year, the high priest. Other than that, it was off limits. And when Jesus Christ came and when he went to the cross and when he gave his life on that cross, that curtain at the temple that forever separated people from a close, intimate, personal, one-on-one relationship with God was split in two. And it was this powerful declaration from then on that you now can come to me. You can know me. You have a relationship now with me possible. And all who come to Christ have that total access. That means each of us, every one of us, has the complete same level of intimate relationship that's possible with our God. It's not limited to the clergy. It's not limited to some pope somewhere. We all are on the same playing field. We all have the same need for the Savior, and we all have the same need met by the one Savior who makes all things possible for us. That's what unites us. That's our common ground. We need to keep coming back to that. That's where our community comes from. But you know, we have an enemy who doesn't want us to believe that. We have an enemy who wants us to still feel isolated, to still put up these barriers around us and operate that way and to feel like that's normal, to feel like that's just the way it's going to be. I mean, that's his plan. That's his strategy to isolate us in that way. I mean, after all, the scripture tells us that he, our enemy, Satan, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone, that's the key, someone, an individual, to devour. That's the way lions hunt. They try to isolate their prey. That's what lions try to do. They look for a weak member of a herd that's maybe off on its own, and they move in to attack that prey by themselves, isolated. Or if they see a herd together, They try to draw out the herd, to scatter them, and to get a member of the herd isolated so they can move in for the kill. Church, that's exactly what our enemy wants to do with us. That's what he tries to do. That's his strategy. Feel isolated. Think about the fact that you don't have much in common with that person over there and that person over there, even though you're part of the same church. Look at all you have that's different. How are you going to reconcile that? I mean, those differences are just too much. 
Look at the age gap. Look at the style preference and how are you going to bridge that? And look at the background. You, you come from a, a place of darkness and sin and just unbelievable wickedness. And this person over here has never done a really bad thing in their life. How are you going to come together? That's what the enemy says. That's the lies that he propagates. But that's not the truth. Because the power of the gospel exceeds however powerful difference might be. It totally surpasses it. No matter how strong our differences might be on a human level, supernaturally, we have a greater power that unites. We need to believe that. We need to own that. We need to walk that out and live that out. And because of all that has been made possible, because of all that has been made true of us by Jesus, like we had read in Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 22, we have to remember, we have to believe that Christ created community for his church. He created it for us and he wants us to walk in it and to pursue it and to live it out. And because of all of that, because we have that ability, we need to determine to live out the instruction that's the application from that that's found in verses 23 through 25. And so I want to zero in on Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 through 25 with you. So if you have your copies of God's Word, go ahead and open up to that. We'll also have it on the screen for you. This is the the application. This is in light of the fact of what we just heard earlier that is true of us in verses 19 through 22. Okay, The result of that. Hebrews 10, looking at verse 23. Let us, and that's the key, us, plural, together, not just the individual here and the individual there. Let us together, the community of Christ, the community of faith, the church, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let us together hold fast the confession of our hope. You know, there's a lot of things that come at you in your life, and there's a lot of things that come at us, even as a collective body. There's storms left and right. There always are, and there always will be. Some are, are stronger than others. And it's especially in the times of the significant storm, the great storm, that we need to realize we're not going to be able to make it just by going at it alone. We need each other. We need someone else to come alongside of us and to keep us holding fast to the hope that we confess. Um, you guys remember the movie Twister from the 90s? You guys remember Twister? Right? Yeah, it's cheesy. There was laughs. But, but man, I still love that movie. I still love I mean, Bill Paxton, Helen Hunt, come on. And, and there's a lot... There's a lot of special effects all throughout that movie, and especially back in the day. I mean, when it was just out, you saw that movie and you were like, whoa, you know, you, you were just on the edge of your seat and you didn't want to go outside in a thunderstorm, you know, because of how dramatic it was. And so, I mean, there's, there's all these scenes all throughout the movie. There's one scene where cows are floating around and the person says, cow. And so there's all these things, but then at the end... Um, the characters, Bill Paxton and Helen Hunt, they realize they're not going to outrun this one. They're not going to outrun this huge mega twister. It's coming right at them. So they're, they're trying their best to get to cover and a barn is blown away right past them. 
And finally, they just, they stop. And there's this structure that's really anchored far into the ground. So they grab these leather straps and they just strap themselves in on the structure. And the tornado actually comes literally over them. And you see them being pulled and they're holding tight and, and they start to let go and Helen Hunt's character starts to let go. So, so he reaches out and he grabs her hand and he puts it back on the structure and he wraps himself around her and then the, the wind is gone and everything and all of a sudden you see them actually being lifted up but they're still tied to the structure. And you see their feet above them and they're actually hanging upside down in the middle of the tornado. And then it passes and they've been held secure. That's exactly the kind of image that's created here. There's, there's a constant storm that's berating you all throughout life. One, just as being a human, you're going to face that kind of thing in, in life. That's just life in humanity. But, but even more than that, as a saved human, as one who follows Christ... You not only have the regular pressures of the world, and you not only have your own flesh warring against you, but you have an enemy who wants you to be defeated and who wants you to be discouraged. And so you've got this perfect storm, really, that comes at you all the time. And listen, Christian, no matter how much you know of the Bible, no matter how sincere your faith is, you cannot do it all alone. We need each other. We need the brethren. We need the body. We need the family of God. We need the community of Christ. So it's significant here that the writer instructs us to to come together and together to hold fast the confession of our hope because there's going to be a time where you or me, someone in our community, someone in our body is going to be weak and we're going to be struggling and we're going to be discouraged and we're going to have doubt and we're going to have fear. And it's in those times when, when your brother or your sister is weak and you're strong, that you are able to come alongside them and put them back on the structure to hold on to. You're able to be that source of strength and to wrap yourself around them in that time of need. And then down the road, when they're weak, you're going to be able to return the favor and do the same thing for them. It's, it's togetherness. It's helping one another, all of us together, to hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. And the, the reason for that And the source of us holding fast, the source of our hope and the source of our confession, it's not ourselves individually. And it's not together. We don't find our hope in one another. We find our hope and the confession of our hope is in he who promised because he's faithful. And that's what we need to remind each other of. Hey, hang in there. Hang in there. Remember who we're hoping in. Remember our Savior. Look back at all the times in your life and in my life and all through Scripture, brother, all through Scripture, sister, all through your life, all through my life, where you have seen God be faithful and all of His promises have been kept, right? And they'll have to say, yeah, yeah, you're right. And you have to just keep motivating them to remember and recall that and to find strength in that. And they need to motivate you the same way. It's together holding fast to the confession of our hope because he who promised is faithful. Then verse 24 says this, and let us, and there's that, that emphasis on together again, that emphasis on community, let us consider, that's intentional That's some strategy there. It doesn't just happen. It's not random. It's thought through. It's deliberate. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love 
and good works. So often we, we hear the phrase stirring up or provoking and we immediately go to the negative, to things that are, that are wrong, you know, pushing each other's buttons, right? And, and that's true and that, that happens and that's common and we're good at that. We're good at pushing one another's buttons. If you have children, you know how good we can be at that. Brothers and sisters, they've got that down to an art form. I mean, just, just about every day uh, are otherwise perfect children. Let me get out of the way for the lightning to strike. Um, our otherwise perfect children have to be reminded very frequently, stop trying to get each other aggravated. Stop trying to push each other's buttons because they love to do it. I mean, it just gives them so much joy and fulfillment knowing I stirred them up. I got them, right? And they do it together. And even little Aiden is starting to learn how to do it. It's amazing. It doesn't take long. So we're used to seeing the negative part of that, but here is the instruction to look at it in a positive way. We can stir up one another and and even kind of push each other's buttons in a good way and for a good purpose. We can stir one another up toward love. We can motivate each other toward love. We We can stir one another up to do more for the world out there and for the body in here. We can stir up one another to good works. That's what we're really called to in James chapter 2. We're called to not just profess our faith, not just to talk about our faith, but to put feet to our faith. And James 2 tells us that's actually how you verify you have faith to begin with. That's how you verify that your confession is not in vain. You prove it by actually doing something about it. Righteous works. So we're, we're called to stir up one another and to motivate one another in that way. Just like Again, back to CrossFit, just like what they do there. I mean, I, I haven't been, um, and, you know, I, I'm trying to be fair to the ones that are there. You know, uh, I don't want to embarrass anybody by showing up at CrossFit. Why are you laughing? Come on. Anyway, if you go there, I guarantee you, you know, like Kyle Viers, who, who's here at our church, he's a big CrossFit person. I think Brad and Andrea are, who grew up in our church. I think, are they still into CrossFit, guys? Yeah? Big time, right? So, I mean, if you were to go and to join them, and you can even see some of the videos on Facebook, I mean, they're, they're in each other's faces. You know, they're yelling at each other. It's like, like army or something. And they're, they're spurring one another on. They're like, you can do more. I know you can do more. And, you know, they're after each other. They're motivating. They're stirring one another up to get the best out of one another. That's what we need to do as the body. That's what we need to do as the community of Christ. We need to stir one another up. We need to call each other to, to do more and, and to, to realize what we have available to us, which is the power of the Spirit, and to motivate each other to, to embrace that and to draw from that and to do what we're called to be together. Then in verse 25, he continues this, this theme of togetherness, and he says this, the writer, "...not neglecting to meet together." as is the habit of some. But, to contrast that, encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So as we're holding fast the confession of our hope without wavering together, remembering that he who promised is faithful, and that's our motivation, and as we're considering together how to stir up one another to love and to good works, as we're doing all that, the other thing we have to make sure is a priority for us is a constant decision on our part is that we not neglect, other translations say not forsake, 
The meeting together, coming together in fellowship, in worship, in prayer, in teaching, in encouragement. Even though that's the habit of some people. But rather we're to encourage one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now let's, let's be honest. Um, it's easy, very, very easy to do the opposite of what we're told here. It's very easy to neglect the coming together, the meeting together. It's incredibly easy to get out of the habit of regular, committed fellowship with the body, right? So easy. Most of the time it happens without meaning to. Like something comes along and, and it interferes or it interrupts and so you, you don't get together with the body and then that ends up kind of stringing along with something else that happens down the road and before you know it there's this pattern and you, you didn't even know when it started. You can't even think back and like, when did this happen? And, but you're, you're now out of fellowship with the body. You're not meeting together. And a lot of times it happens without meaning to, without it being an intentional thing. Sometimes, though, it is very intentional. And, you know, we've got our, we've got our feelings hurt or, or something has happened and we just decide, well, that's it. I'm done. I'm not going to be part of the body anymore, of that particular body. How many times have you heard as you maybe have talked to people and you find out uh, maybe if they go to church or not and you ask, hey, are you, you part of a church family? How many times have you heard, well, no, I used to be part of a church, but I'm done with the whole church thing. I mean, I'm all about Jesus. I, I love Jesus, but I really don't like the church. You've heard that, right? It's easy, very, very easy to get into this, this habit of forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, of the coming together and fellowshipping and encouraging one another. It's actually hard to stay committed because there's a million things that come at you that will take you away. And there's always going to be something that's easier to do or some priority or something that maybe even, humanly speaking, that you'd rather be doing. That's always going to be there. And that's always going to be easy. It takes commitment and in many cases, it takes sacrifice, a word we don't like to hear much, to actually determine, I'm going to be part of the body. I'm going I'm to plug into the community of faith. I'm going to actually contribute, and I'm going to make sure it's a priority that I'm committed to the church. Because I need it, and they need me to be there. Just like we talked about last week in our message with the puzzle pieces fitting together, right? We need each other and we're called to make it a priority. The other thing that verses 24 and 25 together, what they do for us here, what they frame, and what the writer under the Holy Spirit's inspiration is saying to us with these verses together, is that your Christianity isn't just about you. And it isn't just for you. Your Christianity, it's not just about you, and it's not just for you. We need to remember that because so often that's how we operate, where we, we get so inward focused. And, and yeah, I need to be saved personally. I need the Lord Jesus Christ myself individually, and so did you. So we have a personal Savior, but our salvation is not limited to just being about me and just being for me. It's about each other. It's about one another. I, I have been given salvation to then come alongside you, my brother or my sister, and help you as you go in your salvation journey and as you commit 
to following the Savior and walking in Him and in, and in your relationship with Him. I pour into you and you pour into me. It's an iron sharpening iron concept. Our Christianity isn't just about us and it's not just for us. It's, it's for the, the whole community of Christ, the whole community of faith. And with verse 25, um, let, me, let me zero your attention into that. It's really some very clear logic that's on display here where, where the writer says, Don't neglect to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. It's talking about the second coming of Christ, the second advent of the Son of God. And as that draws near, as that becomes a closer reality, what we're going to see is the world around us become increasingly evil and increasingly wicked. And I would say that that's where we're at, wouldn't you? I mean, we don't have to look very hard, we don't have to look very far to see that the world around us is an absolute mess. Now, it's always been evil, it's always been wicked, it's always been sinful, sure. But as the return of Christ draws near, so will the increase of that wickedness and that sinfulness and that evil. And it's going to be incredible as you see the depths of it. And I really feel, I mean, personally, that's what I see when I look around. I mean, it's in every context and in every environment, from the local to the global. We've just been reminded of that recently. Yet again, you know, another mass shooting. And then all the different supposed copycat threats that have sprung up after that, like they often do. And so often you think, well, that's still out there. You know, that's, that's there. And you, you, you tend to focus maybe on the little pockets of safety or of comfort. I'm not going to go into detail, but we were reminded very significantly this week how that's no longer true. That even in our safe, tiny, little area, and even on this immediate context, that now what we've seen out there and what have been possibilities for other people have come close to home indeed. So you're going to see that the wickedness of of the world around you and, and the evil is just constantly increasing and growing. And so as things worsen around us, it makes sense doesn't it, that the believers would want to make sure that we are around other believers as much as possible? You know, that we're being built up as much as we can be when things are being torn down as much as they are. I mean, the more discouraging things become, the more we should want to be encouraged. The more we should seek that out. The more we should be determined to provide encouragement as things get even more discouraging. That needs to be a priority for us. Uh, The more hopeless things seem, the more we need to remind one another of the hope that we all have, the hope we share in Christ. That needs to drive us. That needs to be a motivation for us. And beyond ourselves, just beyond us and beyond our need, we need to look to the lost. And we need to realize that as the return of Christ draws near, their chances and their time to look to Christ and find in Him their all in all like we have, that's decreasing for them. 
And we should not be okay with that, church. If you truly are filled with the Spirit of God, His heart is going to drive and lead your heart. And what breaks His heart should break yours. And and let me just remind us all, the heart of God is broken for the lost. The heart of God is broken for the lost. He is not okay with millions, in fact billions of people on their way to a Christless eternity. He's not good with that. He's not just, eh, oh well. At least I know that I've got my, my group of people. No. No, the heart of God still breaks for the lost heart. And it needs to break for ours as well. So, collectively, not only do we rally around one another and encourage one another and remind each other of the hope we have as the day draws near, the day of Christ's return. But we also need to be motivated together and passionate together about making sure the lost world that still is outside of Christ and on their way to an incredibly horrible, judgment-filled, suffering-filled, anguish-filled, Christless eternity that we do all we can to share with them the hope that we have. That needs to also be part of our community. That's what needs to drive our community, the Christ-centered, gospel-centered community. So all that means, what all that means for us is that despite its many flaws and its failings, despite its weaknesses, despite its hypocrisy, the community of Christ, the church, still remains a beautiful, needed thing. The body of Christ is still beautiful, and it's still Christ's intended method to encourage one another, to build each other up, and it's still his instrument that he uses to proclaim the truth and power of his gospel to the dying, lost world outside of the community of Christ. It's still effective, and it's still something we need to be committed to. But don't just take my word for it. Don't just take my word for it. I want you to hear the perspective of someone else who's been part of this community of faith for a long time. Cormie, would you come up and join me on stage? (laughs) Um, What I asked Cormie to do is um, is just to sit with me here for a few minutes as we close out. And Cormie has just a lot of different varieties of experience uh, throughout his life. Uh, part of the army, and you've, you've lived uh, in different countries and in different states, and I mean, you've seen a lot of different things, Cormie. Um, and I won't go into all the details of your background, but man, when you came to Christ, I mean, you, you really came oh, to boy. Christ. Yes. It was a, a 180, uh, it was a, a total different uh, reality for you. Um, and that led you to the church, right? Eventually, yes. Yeah, eventually. And once you were led to the church, I mean the collective church as a, as a whole, um, I mean, you've been part of the body for a very, very long time. Over 50 years. Over 50 years, okay. And, and in, that, in that 50 years, you've been part of different local assemblies, yes. you know, scattered throughout. And I am sure you've seen many examples of the church at its best mm-hmm. um, and at its worst. Would that be an accurate statement? Yes. Okay. So, especially in those bad times, you know, the the valleys of of this community, the community of faith, um, the times that it it may not have been the easiest 
to actually stick with it. And many cases, people don't stick with it, you know, right? When it, when it disappoints them, it lets them down. Cormie, what's kept you personally uh, committed to being part of the organized community of believers, the church, after all these years? What's kept you? Well, there are several things. One, shortly after I came to know the Lord as my Savior, uh, I met with a few guys and... Uh, they had some experience as Christians. And one of the things they taught me when I was telling them some things that I was experiencing in churches that didn't seem right, they told me that I needed to stay focused on what the Lord Jesus Christ had done for me on Calvary. Mm. And the fact that that was finished, it was complete, Jesus said so. And that uh, I didn't need to add any of these uh, weird things that some of the churches were asking you to do that wasn't necessary. But to stay focused on the completed work of Christ on my behalf. Mm. And also to remember a promise that Jesus made in John chapter 5. He said, he that hears my word and believes on him that sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation. Amen. But is passed from death to life. Mm. And I've, re- well I even noticed that was in one of the Hebrew passages up here. Remember those things. Mm. And uh, and I, I've, uh, I stood by that. I believe Jesus was uh, telling the truth. Mm-hmm. And I'm still trusting him today. Mm, amen. He's still working on me and <laughs> I'm still trusting him. So that's what anchors you. It's not about what happens on the side. It's not about what happens in, from person to person. It's what anchors you, what steers you is what Jesus has done, completed on the cross. Yes. Okay. And the thing that attracted me to this particular local assembly was that it was so different than what we came out of. Mm. Uh, when Deborah and I came here, we were total strangers. We were outsiders. We came from the East Coast, which is a whole different culture over there. And uh, I had been with the church over there for over two years. I stuck with it as long as I could, thinking I might be able to help them. But when God finally revealed to me that it was a lost cause, I left there. And we, God arranged for us to come over here. Mm. This group of people here, and uh, this was back in the 70s, they just wrapped themselves around Deborah and I. Mm. They just took us in. Mm. So it was the people that drew us to this church here in particular. Mm. And then to put the seal on it, shortly after we came here, there was a couple of hippies showed up at the back door (laughs) of the church up here. This guy was barefoot, his hair was long, plaited and stuff like that, and his wife looked like a, one of these uh, Indian maidens out of an old western uh, with the way she was dressed. And folks just went up and grabbed him and hugged him and invited him into the church. And I said, man, that's it. This is the place I want to be because mm. it was not like that where we had just come from. Mm. Not like that at all. Uh, mm. They would have put them out on the street for sure okay. if they had walked in our church back there. So that's a good challenge for us going forward to continue that kind of attitude, yes. that mindset to yes. to welcome others that uh, maybe other people wouldn't, right? Because yes. you never know the difference that that's going to make. Another thing that's kept me uh, active, especially in this particular church, and uh, it was missing in, I think, every church that we were in, uh, every church I was in. Never came from a good church background. Okay. As a matter of fact, after we got married, I took her to the church I'd been going to down in D.C. And after church, she came out crying. 
And I thought maybe she'd had a, you know, a spiritual experience of some kind. <laughs> she says, Cormie, we can't go back here. She says, I said, why not? She says, that's not a church, that's a cult. <laughs> <laughs> because she had been raised in church. She knew what a, a she church knew the looked difference. like. Yes. Yeah. And I said, okay, well, let's, let's see what we can find. <laughs> and uh, so there were a number of things that have, have been helpful. But, uh, one of the things that's kept me here is what was absent in a lot of other churches. We've had good preaching ever since we've been here. Mm. There's Cliff Lonis and Pastor Repass and Bill Kennedy and mm. uh, Pastor Halsey and, of course, yourself. Good, solid Bible preaching. That's one of the things. The people is one of the things that's very important. We have, not very successful at times, but we have a fairly, we attempt to have a good outreach program here mm. into our community. And one of the things that really keeps me here is that we have a strong missions emphasis. Mm. Mm. Uh, I didn't see that hardly anywhere else we've wow. ever been. Wow. And so uh, those are the things that uh, have kept me tied to this organized assembly. Okay. I, I noticed I've had a lot of experience with small groups. Mm-hmm. And they're very important. And I think they, they had a major part of my, my uh, sticking with with the uh, with the church mm. is that um, thing that is important to me is that I am encouraged and ordered in the scripture to be a part of this. Mm. Well, we just read it on the screen up here. Uh, you know, stick with it. Stick with it. Don't give it up. And it's very important. Also, uh, I'm responsible to reach out to others. Mm. And so I've had wonderful opportunities to do that. But the organized church has the possibility of reaching around the world yeah. because of their combined uh, prayer and financial resources, which as a tiny small group or as an individual, you don't have the ability to do that. Mm. So even though I like smaller groups. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're, you've been part of one for quite a while. Before I was ever a believer. We were in, I was in small groups that had nothing to do with church, but they were small groups where we supported one another and things like that. And I've been in uh, a number of small groups. Matter of fact, I'm involved in four right now. Uh, and uh, we'll get into that later. But, <laughs> You're involved in four groups. Great. Yes. Great. Excellent. But um, it's just that uh, I like things. I guess it might be because of my 23 years in the military. I like things organized. <laughs> sure. Sure. So uh, that's one of the things that kind of keeps me in the organized church, even when it didn't go too well at times. Mm. I and mean, we've had some problems here in this church too. But a bunch of us have stuck with it. We've kept our focus on what we should have kept our focus on. And we're still here today. Amen. Yes. Well, we're sure glad that you are. Yeah. Um, one, one final thing, Cormie, if you could challenge... You know, your fellow community here, the community of Christ, um, kind of along the lines of what we're thinking of and talking uh-huh. about here. If you could challenge them in, in any one major area, uh, what would that be? What would you say to this, this group here? Two things. Okay. Can't be just one. Two things. Get involved in a small group, hmm. a life group or whatever you want to call it. That has been my life source almost. Hmm. I've been in various groups ever since before I was saved and since I've been a Christian even in the army when we even didn't even have a, a, a chaplain to, 
to preach to us on Sunday. We got together in small groups and studied the scripture and prayed together. Uh, even in Vietnam, I was involved in two small groups over there. And because uh, oftentimes we couldn't get a chaplain. In the small groups, we supported one another. And when things would happen bad in Vietnam, we'd gather around one another. Now, I know all soldiers do that. Mm. But it's wonderful that within that group of soldiers, we had this small group of Christian soldiers. Oh, wow. Yeah. Who came around and prayed with you. Mm. Who laid hands on you and, and, and prayed that God would encourage you and strengthen you and enable you to go on in spite of what's been happening and what might happen. Mm. And uh, it's been that way. Ever since I've been out of the military, I've been involved in, in small groups. Uh, we've had small groups practically ever since we've been here. Clifford Lonis encouraged them. We didn't do it. Uh, Pastor Repass started the uh, Circles of Eight. Uh, he actually organized that. And that did pretty good for a while. And then Pastor Halsey came and he liked the idea of small groups. So we did some research and... Uh, we started the Adult Bible Fellowships, and, and that went over well. And then later on came the life groups. Mm-hmm. So I've been involved in all that since I've been here. Okay. Plus, at the same time, I'm involved in other groups outside of the, the church, sure. too. Sure. So I encourage people to get involved in small groups. And the other thing is, don't be afraid to ask people about their, about their salvation, about their spiritual state. Mm-hmm. And be willing and ready and able. Well, he says it in Peter, 1 Peter 3.15, be ready always, anytime. A person would ask you a reason to hope it's in you with meekness and fear. They're not going to ask you anything unless they have a reason to. Mm-hmm. So we need to uh, at least uh, live a life of, of a good testimony. So they wonder maybe why we're living like that. Uh, we need to talk to people about God. We don't be... We don't need to be afraid of talking about God. Mm. Even where I work, uh, one of the folks that were responsible for, supposed to be responsible for hiring me, turned me down, voted against me, and I didn't get hired because uh, I was a Christian Mm. and just talked about God. But uh, later on, that same person came to me for counseling. (laughs) So... (laughs) uh, God has a way of working things yes, out. Yes, you know? uh, he finally changed his mind. Mm. But don't be afraid to tell people where you stand. Mm. Never be afraid. Mm. If you're born again and you get, you've guaranteed the Holy Spirit within you to strengthen you and to encourage you and to enlighten you, don't be afraid. Mm. Step out. That's the two things I would say. Okay. Get in a small group and don't be afraid to step out Amen. and share your testimony. Great. Great. Yes. Thank you, Cormie. Let's give him a round of applause again. I'll help you down. Okay. okay. Thanks, Cormie. Thank you so much for sharing your experience and your wisdom. Um, let's, let's join together in prayer, and let's keep in mind what the Word of God told us today and what we heard from our brother as well. And let's pursue community, Christ-centered community. It's the greatest source of community we could ever find. Father... Thank you for your word. Thank you for the reminders of your word today. Thank you for making not just a community, but for making the greatest community, the most authentic community, 
the most life-impacting, truly eternally impacting community possible through your Son and through bringing about the body of Christ, the church. Father, help us to see it as you do, as beautiful, as powerful, as necessary, despite its flaws, despite its failings, to see that it's still your program and your plan on this earth. And help us to be committed to it, to not neglect the coming together as the body, as the community of Christ. But all the more, as we all see the day of your Son approaching. And as our brother reminded us, help us to make sure that we, along with plugging in one with another, that we don't neglect to proclaim the truth and the power and the hope of the gospel. To not be afraid to ask those those probing questions, and to trust the power of the Spirit in those moments. Father, may this body continue to be an example and increase in its being an example of what a true Christ-centered community looks like and how that operates. All for your glory and honor in accordance with your will. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.